Well, good morning, Redeemer, and Happy New Year. I, I didn't know what the turnout would be. I didn't know what to expect, but it's nice to see such a, a full gym today. Well, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is the fourth last book in your Old Testament. So if you flip to the New Testament, go back a few pages, you'll be there in no time. And this morning, we're actually going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Usually here at Redeemer, um, by the way, I do see some new faces. My name's Matt Scarlett. I should have introduced myself to start. But um, anyways, usually at Redeemer here, we'll take a small section of Scripture, or like, for example, uh, next week, we're going to go back to our series in the book of Acts, and we take a small section of Scripture and we walk through that. But this morning, we're going to do something different, and we're actually going to walk through the whole book of Zephaniah. So you're going to have to bear with me. There's going to be some page turning, going back and forth. But our goal is to, to see why the Lord has given us this all-important yet often neglected book in His Word. But uh, before we dive in, I just want to ask the question, is anybody here feeling hazy this morning? Feeling tired? I, that, yeah, you can raise your hands. Yeah, it's, it's okay. That's how I'm feeling today. You know, and uh, my wife, Krista, and I, we had a lovely week off together. We got to see family, friends, but for whatever reason, it was just, I'm feeling sleepy, sleepy and hazy, and I know I, know I need the, the Lord's help today, and I'm sure you do too. So if you can, why don't we just pause, take 15 seconds, just pray on our own, and then I'll open us up. Um, yeah, we just want to prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that we have the utmost privilege now to gather and to sit under the preaching of your word. Lord, we acknowledge that hearing from you is the most fundamental, the most important thing that we could do. And we have that privilege now to do this in safety, with no fear. But Lord, we confess our weakness. We feel hazy, some of us. Our joy at this time of the year is mingled with sadness often, with grief. So we just acknowledge that we need Your help. Holy Spirit, we invite You now to come and move powerfully. It is by Your Holy Spirit, Lord, that You caused Your church in the book of Acts to go forth with such courage and boldness. And You took and are continuing to take Your Gospel to the ends of the earth because your children are empowered by that Holy Spirit. So today, we ask you and invite you to come and do that today. Move in our hearts, till the soil of our hearts that we would hunger and thirst and long for you. Help us to be humble and contrite in heart and to tremble before you, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, just by a brief introduction, there's a show that Chris and I love to watch. It's called The Middle. I don't know if you've ever heard of The Middle. It's 20-minute episodes. It's a friendly, cute sitcom, and uh, it's about a family, father and his, his wife and three kids. And the oldest boy, he's 15 or 16, he is just, he's your classic young and dumb teenager. That's the nicest way of putting it. And every time I watch him do something silly, make a wrong decision, I just laugh because it takes me back to my days in high school. 
And it just reminds me, wow, being able to see that our decisions have consequences is something that young people often, not all young people, I'm looking out at some bright young people who, praise be to God, are a little bit more wise, but let's just be honest, when you're young and dumb, you don't have the foresight to see that the decisions you make can have lasting, sometimes terrible consequences. Is that not true? Some of you here this morning can think back to decisions that you made in your teens, maybe even your early 20s, and you go, wow, that decision that I made, that foolish decision, has haunted me to this day. Being able to see that our decisions will have consequences is something that we cannot take for granted. And the reason why I bring that up is that when we look to the book of Zephaniah, we get a glimpse of the inevitable consequences coming hard and fast to an unsuspecting people. Now the difference is is that Judah, that's who Zephaniah was prophesying to, they didn't have an excuse. They weren't just young and dumb teenagers who didn't have fully formed brains. No, Judah had watched as their brothers and sisters in the northern tribes of Israel were taken into Assyria, taken into captivity. They saw them go through the judgment of the Lord just a hundred years before. But did Judah amend their ways? Did they pull a 180 and learn from their brothers and sisters' mistakes? Not at all. Rather, rather than learning from their siblings' mistakes, they snuck out of the same windows, stole their parents' cars, went to the same parties, and ended up having to pay the same consequences of their brothers and sisters. Now, just to be clear, there were bright spots in the people of, in the people of God where you thought true and lasting change might actually occur. But these burned out fast. You know, in fact, Josiah, he was the king who Zephaniah was prophesying to in in those days. He was one of those bright lights who made huge, huge, huge reforms, counteracting the mistakes of his forefathers. But they didn't last, as his sons brought the nation into further ruin. The people of God were asleep at the wheel and headed for and fast into destruction. The inevitable was on its way, and Judah did not see it coming. But they weren't the only ones. They weren't the only blind ones. In fact, the surrounding nations who had refused to bow to the God of Israel would have to face judgment as well. The time had run out, and God was about to execute His justice and His vengeance on sin. But thanks be to God that after the judgment came, after the horrid storm of judgment came, Hope remain for the people of God. So with these things in mind, hear now from God's holy, inspired, inerrant living and active word to us today. Zephaniah 1, verse 14 to 15. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Those verses get your attention, don't they? 
If you were coming in this morning thinking that you were going to hear a sermon about five ways to make 2023 the most productive, that's not it. That's not it. Please stay, but don't expect that. No, the message of Zephaniah could be summed up with the words, the day of the Lord. His message was that the clock was about to strike midnight and God's wrath would be poured out on the earth. But before we go any further, there might, some be, there might be some of you here today having questions in your mind saying, well, Matt, what is the day of the Lord? Well, what does that even mean? So to avoid those needless bunny trails bothering you while I'm preaching, let's quickly ask, what is the day of the Lord? This theme is something that is, is not unique to the book of Zephaniah. In fact, other prophets such as Joel, Micah, Amos, most, and most of the other minor prophets, in fact, all of the prophets, actually spoke to this theme of the day of the Lord. And that is because in biblical terms, and this is, this is critical that we grasp this, there are actually many days of the Lord. Not just one, but many. One commentator helpfully puts it this way. He says, the result of this prophecy unfolding is that there may be numerous days of the Lord before the day before the day of the Lord that will inaugurate a new order that will never again be at risk or destabilized. That's a helpful insight. See, the prophets looked ahead, and it's as though they saw a great mountain range, but from their vantage point, they couldn't make out the distance between the peaks and the mountains. Right? There were many days of the Lord, like think of a, a lowercase days of the Lord, but there is ultimately only one day of the Lord. There's only one day of the Lord when Christ will return again. And that is like the ultimate mountain peak in the distance. So, so when Zephaniah, when he spoke these words to Judah, I am sure that he was thinking back a hundred years prior when the people of Israel, right, the bro- his brothers and sisters in the northern kingdom, were taken into captivity by Assyria. You see, for the northern kingdom a hundred years before, their day of the Lord had come. Their day of judgment had come. That was one of those little mountain peaks. Does that make sense? But for the southern kingdom, the people that Zephaniah was speaking to, their little mountain peak was approaching fast. Look with me again to verse 14. Zephaniah said this, The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. So friends, there, there are days of the Lord, right? Those smaller, lowercase, smaller peaks. And there is the great day of the Lord. And I just, I just know that if we can grasp this, it's going to help us read the minor prophets and the rest of the Word of God with much more clarity and insight. Right? The, the days of the Lord, the smaller peaks maybe many and localized, but the great day, the great day of the Lord, think of the end of Revelation, that day will be seen across the globe. But these little mountain peaks, that they help us better understand and prepare us for that great day, for that great mountain peak, that great day of the Lord. You know, you've probably heard Pastor Levi use the illustration of the fact that David was like an arrow shot at the sun, but he ultimately fell short. So these days teach us true things and provide us a foretaste of the day of the Lord that is coming. 
when Jesus comes again. So friends, let's lean in so that we can be prepared for the day of the Lord. And let's ask the question, what do we learn about the day of the Lord from the book of Zephaniah? Well, first we see that on the day of the Lord, it will be a day of judgment for the nations. Now, as I warned you, to see this, to see these things in Zephaniah, we're going to be jumping back and forth. So jump with me now, or back to, with me now, to chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. There the Lord declares, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Zephaniah teaches that when the day of the Lord comes, it will be a day of judgment for the nations. All people from all nations, from all classes of society, rich and poor, alike will face the judgment for their rebellion against the God of Israel. Right? These ver- in these verses, there is nothing less than complete destruction described here. They're meant to remind us of Noah. Noah and the flood. You remember what happened? Everything in the flood, through the flood, was destroyed short of Noah's family and enough animals to repopulate the world. That's the language that the Lord uses. He wants to draw our attention back to the days of the flood. The day when all people will be held to account for their rebellion. And friends, we just celebrated Christmas, right? A time when we celebrate God's grace and His compassion and we say yes and amen to those things. But we also are reminded that our God is a holy God. And He is a just God, which means that He cannot overlook sin. Not our sin, nor the sin of the world. He must judge sin. And the judgment that falls upon people who refuse to bow to the Lord will be complete ruin. That's what the book of Zephaniah tells us. Now, one point I want to be clear on, I don't want to miss this, and you know, if I was, over the last few days, I was trying to think of an analogy, but I'm not informed enough of geopolitical studies. But here you have in these verses the God of Israel proclaiming judgment upon the whole world. Now, does anybody know the state of Judah at this time? Like, were they the superpower at the time? No. No, they had just seen their brothers and sisters wiped out. They were caught in between Egypt and Assyria. Babylon was starting to get more powerful. But here you have the God of little Judah saying, against all odds, I am going to call all people to account. I am the sovereign one. Friends, our God is no mere local deity, no tribal God. His dominion was not and is not restricted to the ever-shrinking borders of Israel. No, the book of Zephaniah teaches us that the God of Israel is the Lord of the entire globe. He's the sovereign one over nations. And when Christ returns, 
at the end of all things, he will exercise his lordship and demonstrate his power and glory. And we see the the peak of this in chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. So flip with me there, if you don't mind. Zephaniah 2, verse 13 to 15. So leading up to these verses, God has just pronounced judgment upon the surrounding nations which had been a thorn in the side of Israel. So He pronounces judgments against Philistia, Ammon, Moab, and Cush. And then God singles out the superpower of the day. He singles out mighty, powerful Assyria. And He says this, And He, that is God, will stretch out His hand against the north, and destroy Assyria. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry waste like the desert. And then in verse 15, it says this, This is the exultant city that lived securely, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. God singles out Assyria because they were the superpower of the day. And they thought they were invincible. They cried out audaciously, I am and there is no one else. Do you see that? I am was how God introduced Himself to Pharaoh. It's pretty clear what the Assyrians were saying, weren't they? They thought of themselves as gods. And the same thinking, friends, is all over the world today. The arrogance, the defiance, the audacity... The day of the Lord, both the minor and the great days of the Lord will be moments when people of all nations are held to account for not bowing to the one true God. Sin will be punished, justice will be had, and God will be seen as the holy sovereign ruler of all. Assyria would fall. Babylon would fall. Every nation that exalts itself against God will fall. That is how the story ends. And we see in Revelation 18, at the end of all things, there's a cry. It says this, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Right? Babylon was the epitome of self-reliance, pride, idolatry, sin, and pleasure. Thumbing their nose at the one true God. And they were promised a great fall. And in this fall, the truth that Zephaniah preached to the the people of Israel will be fully realized on the great day of the Lord. The day that all nations are held to account for the injustice they perpetuated, the idols they worshipped, the innocent lives taken, and most of all, for their refusal to bow the knee to the God of Israel. This is what will happen on the day of the Lord. But friends, before we jump ahead, I think it's necessary that we ask ourselves, do we truly believe this? Do we truly believe that when the Lord returns, the nations will stand in judgment? Put another way, do you truly believe that that you and your neighbors and the rest of the people in the world will actually be a hell to account for our sin? Do we believe that? Because if we do, it's going to change the way we live. It's going to change the way we pray. It's going to change the way we evangelize. 
on the note of prayer. It's going to change the way that we pray for our persecuted uh, brothers and sisters in the world. Right? We're going to think about them knowing that they're in hard places, dying for their faith, risking their lives to tell lost people about Jesus. But how often do we in our safe spaces shy away from evangelism because we don't want to impose on people? What we see here in Zephaniah, the coming judgment will be very imposing. And everybody will be exposed to it. This message is for the nations. And that's why in the book of Acts, the disciples are called to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Because the ends of the earth need to be warned and prepared for this day. The day of the Lord will be a day of judgment for the nations. But secondly, it will be a day of judgment for the church. It will be a day of judgment for the church. Flip back to chapter 1. And you're doing great, by the way. Chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. There the Lord says, On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search out Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will He do ill. Here God declares to His people, not the nations, right? He's not talking to mighty Assyria. No, He's talking to His people, to Judah herself. And He says that on the day of the Lord, He's going to search the city and judge His children. That's strong language, isn't it? It's kind of language that's hard for us to swallow as it depicts our God warring with sin. And not only the world's sin, but our own sin in a way that makes us feel very uncomfortable. Here we see God is intimately involved in the judgment that He sends our way. Right? He says, at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. That's hard, but it's true. Now you ask, well, well, Matt, what led to this judgment? Well, how, how, why, what did the people done to deserve this? Well, if you jump with me again, to, if you jump with me to Zephaniah three. Thankfully, Zephaniah is a short book, right? You just got to go one one page over for the most part. But if you flip to Zephaniah three, we're going to read verses one to five, and there we read. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy, They do violence to the law. Now, if your Bible didn't have chapter headings, you would actually read those verses and assume that the Lord was still talking to Assyria. But He's not. 
No, that's the Lord talking to His own people. His people that He had rescued from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt, who He had given His law to, His commandments, the sacrifices, the temple, the promised land. He's talking to those people. The people of Judah had fallen so very far and they no longer looked like the people of God. Their leaders were corrupt. God likened them to roaring lions and wolves crushing everything in their path. Their prophets were fickle and treacherous, distorting God's Word. The priests were doing the same. Their worship had become sandwiched with idolatry. They were worshiping the stars. And still others fell into such apathy that they lived as though God did not exist. In short, sin had infiltrated every single part of God's people. And judgment was inevitable. Judah's Day of Reckoning, right? Or their little mountain peak. Remember we used that analogy? One of their little mountain peaks came at the hands of Babylon in 586 B.C. There they were taken into exile just like the northern kingdom of Israel for their rebellion against their God. Judah had stopped taking their call to faithfulness and holiness seriously, and they were judged for it. And friends, though hard to swallow, I assure you this is a needed warning for us today. Jesus put it this way on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. He said, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, that's coming from from Jesus. He is going to speak those words to everyone who has lived a double life. Who's tried to keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world. To those who've tried to have multiple dance partners in the process, lost their devotion to their God. When the Lord comes again to judge His people, the true children of God will be revealed. But friends, just as important, those masquerading as His children will be exposed for who they are. Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. The truth will come out. Those clinging to their sin with one hand and worshiping Jesus with the other will be exposed. And they're going to have to give an account to Jesus for their duplicity. Friends, are you clinging to something today that you know you shouldn't be? Maybe it's your bank account that's become your God. Maybe it's that promotion that you're seeking that has become your God. Maybe it's the dangerous relationship that you're in that you know has taken top priority in your life. Are you refusing to keep the Lord your number one priority? The warnings of God's coming judgment, friends, they're meant to shake us out of apathy. They're meant to lead us to take an inventory of our hearts. Do you remember in Revelation 2, 
to three when Jesus speaks to the churches. Shameless plug. Going to do another RMM reading plan plug. Now, to be fair, I, did, I planned this before I talked to Levi this morning. So it's, but if you're, if you're doing the RMM plan, you're going to start. I recommend it. Today's our day one, just like Levi said. Perfect day to do it. And you do the one-year plan. What you'll find is that every single June and every single December, you'll find yourselves in Revelation. And there in chapters, chapter 2, verses 2 to 5, speaking to the church in Ephesus, Jesus says this, but, this, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Again, that's New Testament stuff. That's Jesus saying that. And it's more firm than we're used to. But the call to faithfulness, the call to fidelity, to love, to truth, to Jesus Christ is required just as much of us as it was in the days of Zephaniah. So friends, as we start this year, it's a good time to ask, am I toying with stuff I know I shouldn't be? Am I refusing to cut ties with this sin? Am I playing with fire, hoping not to get burned? Judah was playing with fire, and they got burned. They were judged for their sin. But friends, thanks be to God. The judgment doesn't end there. In fact, for the people of God, we learn that on the day of the Lord, it will be a day to purify God's people. That's the third thing we see. On the day of the Lord, it will be a day to purify God's people. Look with me to Zephaniah 3, verses 12 to 13. You see, Judah went through the storm of judgment not to be fully crushed, but to be refined and to be purified for the glory of God. You know, just as you boil water when you're camping to get rid of the bad bacteria, so the people of God needed to be purified from the evil that had enveloped them. If you found those verses, look there with me. Zephaniah 3, verse 12 to 13. After the judgment of the Lord, God declares to His people, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Again, back to the mountain peak analogy. Judah would have seen this, this little peak, like they saw a minor fulfillment of this when they were sent back to the land of Israel. So rather than complete destruction, God used the storm to purify His people, to refine them. Right? He says, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. Rather than complete destruction, God's people were sanctified through the storm. And friends, I want you to hear that. Because we're talking about judgment, and I don't want you to mishear me. 
If you are in Christ today, then the judgment of the Lord will end in your refinement. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But it will end in your refinement, in your sanctification. And ultimately, it will be for your good. That's why we see these warnings in the New Testament. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said this, but when we are judged, there's that word, right? When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. So that we'd be condemned? No. So that we may not be condemned along with the world. Rather than letting us get swept off, swept away with the wicked, God judges us so that we can be purified and kept from ultimate condemnation. That's what we experience in times of discipline. That's what the people of God experienced when they went to Babylon. And some of you today are going through a purifying season. Some of you are going through a little day of the Lord. You're seeing that mountain peak and you're feeling it. But friends, when the day of the Lord, right, when Jesus returns on that final day of the Lord, we will experience this purification in full. Zephaniah saw, and, and the, the people of God saw, a part fulfillment of this. But the ultimate fulfillment of this will be when Jesus returns, when we will be free forever from sin and all traces of it. Free from all deceit and wickedness. Free from all of the chains that have bound us On that day, on the great day, on the final mountain peak, we will be made as we we were made to be. Thanks be to God. What can we expect from the day of the Lord? A day of judgment which will leave us purified and refined. But lastly, remember I mentioned there's hope, right? There's great hope. Great hope for the people of God. And lastly, we see that on the day of the Lord, It will be a day of rejoicing. It will be a day of rejoicing. Look with me to Zephaniah 3, verses 14 to 20, and I assure you this is the last time I make you you change it or turn the pages in your Bible. Zephaniah 3, verse 14 to 20. We have this glorious, glorious, glorious promise. The Lord declares over His people, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in 
at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. The great day of the Lord, that final, final mountain peak, will be for the glory of God and for the good of His people. Now again, Judah saw, they they felt, saw a minor fulfillment of this, right? There was a foretaste of this after exile. Because Cyrus, king of Persia, he he told the people of Israel, go back home. In, In 539 B.C., go back home. Rebuild your homes. Rebuild the temple. The people of God would have been rejoicing, saying, oh, Zephaniah's words are coming true. God is going to be with us again. We're going home. Our judgments are taken away. But do you remember what happened when they got back to the land? They got home and they were pestered by neighbors. The rebuilding took way longer than they thought it would. They were still subject to Persia. They only had a small part of the land, the promised land, in their possession. And then the the, the climax of this disappointment came in the temple. Because when they finally rebuilt it, the new temple was only a footnote compared to Solomon's glorious temple. God's people would have to wait for another day of the Lord. There was still another mountain peak in the distance. And that is what God actually intended. The day of the Lord that Zephaniah saw was also part pointing far in the future when God's people would see their Savior come at Christmas. He was looking forward to the day when our Savior, Jesus Christ, right, our Emmanuel, God with us, would come and not fight the Assyrians of the world or the Babylons, but when He would fight and crush the serpent's head. He would come as a baby in a manger. He would live in our place. He would suffer in our place. He would bear our judgment at the cross. He would rise again in power, ascend to His glorious throne, and send us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live us to live as we were made to. But friends, there's still another mountain peak off in the distance. You can probably guess where I'm going with this. These words looked ultimately to the great day of the Lord. That final mountain peak in the distance. To the day when Christ comes again and will restore all things to what they should be. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty One who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Friends, don't those words remind you of the end of Revelation? In Revelation 21, we read this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Zephaniah was seeing that. And that's what we're meant to see. 
We're meant to see the great day when paradise is restored, when all that Adam and Eve lost, but Christ purchased again for us, comes true. When all sins and causes of sin are removed, destroyed, and in their place, we live and dwell with God in perfect harmony, and in perfect harmony with one another. And friends, that is the ultimate future and hope if you're in Christ today. That is the hope of the world. Walking with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Paradise. Glorying, dwelling with our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No more brokenness in our relationships with one another. No perfect harmony. No fear of death. No trace of sin. We will be elevated as the darlings of heaven, as one commentator put it. God will sing over us. God will wash over us with His love. Friends, that's what we're waiting for. That's what Zephaniah's words were ultimately pointing to. A day of rejoicing. A day of glory. But maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, first of all, maybe you're not a Christian. And you're sitting here saying, I don't know how that's possible. It's possible because God loved you and was faithful to His promise. And He sent Christ. Just like what we celebrated last week. He sent the baby in the manger, the Savior. Jesus lived in your place. He lived in my place. For every breath of His life, there was not a trace of sin. Every breath, every moment of His life was in perfect adoration and obedience to the will of God the Father. He loved every single person that He came in contact with perfectly. Even His enemies. And then He went to the cross. And He had no sin of His own. So why did He die? He died for you and I. He bore the wrath of God on the cross. The judgment that you and I deserved. He bore it in full so that we so that we could be brought back to the Father. That's our hope, friends. That's how we can look forward to the Lord singing over us in paradise for all eternity. And friends, without Christ, I don't care what you have, you've got nothing. You can have all the money in the world, you can have the greatest marriage, greatest job, the greatest kids, but apart from Christ, you have nothing. You need Him. I need Him. So I ask you this morning, are you trusting in something else? As we begin a new year, are you hoping in anything but Christ? If you are, let go of it. Let go and take shelter in the grace and the redemption found in Jesus Christ. Because friends, the warning still stands. The day of the Lord will come. And for all those outside of Christ, the day of the Lord will end only in judgment and in wrath. But for the people of God, for those who are hoping in Christ, all that remains is hope and glory and the promise of your God showering His love and singing over you. As Zephaniah tells us, the Lord your God 
is in your midst, right? This is us looking forward to that day. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. If you're in Christ, friends, that's your hope. That's your future. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we confess that you are our God. You are the sovereign Lord over all things, over all the nations, and over us as individuals, Lord. And we declare that our hope is only in Christ and what He purchased for us. And, O Lord, as we begin this new year, we ask, Holy Spirit, that You would just magnify the glory of Jesus, that all other things would, would fade away. Help us. Help us to the end that we would treasure You as we ought to, that we would love You as we would ought to, and that we would know how truly loved we are by You. Help us, Lord, and help us to take this message, this message of hope, this message of salvation, Lord, to a hurting and broken world. Lord, as we begin this year, help us to commit ourselves to living for Your glory. And Lord, we love You and we just pray that You would bless us as we continue to worship You. Prepare our hearts to receive you, Lord, as we partake in the Lord's Supper. God, we ask all these things and we pray them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.